0: Hello, I'm Abby and this is Teach Medieval. On today's episode, I am incredibly excited to be welcoming Dr. James Ross. Hello, James. Hello. James is also the author of several superb texts, including Henry VI, A Good, Simple and Innocent Man, a book which has proved utterly invaluable to me in my teaching of The Wars of the Roses, and an incredible biography of the fascinating John de Vere, 13th Earl of Oxford, The Foremost Man of the Kingdom, which I just simply cannot recommend enough. So before we begin, I just want to make it clear that this particular podcast is actually the second in a mini-series of six on the broader topic of Cade's Rebellion. The purpose of the full series is to analyse and evaluate the causes and consequences of civil unrest, so please do make sure you have listened to the first episode in order to get the full picture and complete your learning. Now that we've got that bit out of the way, let's start! So, James, the topic for this second episode is how did the death of William de la Pole, first Duke of Suffolk, trigger the rebellion? So, let's start with what role did Suffolk exactly play in Henry's council?
1: So, that there's no medieval equivalent of prime minister, there's no sort of formal um, role as there is nowadays. But it'd be fair to, to say that Suffolk from sort of the early 1440s is the leading councillor, the leading minister. Um, we often sort of say chief minister, which sort of captures that of leadership. Um, it's a little bit hard to be precise about this because one of the real problems of the Wars of the Roses is understanding how far Henry the himself is decisions, but perhaps not getting them right, or whether he's um, an utter non-entity, not making any decisions, and people around him are sort of having to manage him, and it. You could, the evidence can point in, in both sort of directions. But of course, this makes a big difference as to how much Suffolk is completely running the show or just the most influential figure around him. Um, but he he's certainly um, very influential. Um, he's got a really senior post in the royal household, so he's around the king quite a lot. He's up, up to a point in controlling who's seeing the king, who's advising the king. So he's got a, a certain level of of, of control there. And when you've got external influence, sort of foreign ambassadors and foreign embassies, you can see that Suffolk's the you know the leading figure around the king. He does a lot of the talking to the French ambassadors in fourteen forty five. The king sort of plays a, a much more ceremonial role and comes in and 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 um, says a few nice words, whereas all of the hard bargaining seems to be done by by Suffolk. So he's clearly um, the leading figure around the king. But he's also he's also got an um a number of allies. Um, a lot of the people around in the royal household are quite closely connected to him. he has a he has a power base that, that helps him um, control. What's happening at the court, and therefore, you know, to to a large degree, policy as well.
0: How is it then that Suffolk seems to have fallen from grace?
1: I think recent recent sort of work has suggested that Suffolk actually had a reasonable amount of buy-in from from the nobility more generally in political society. That that he's not you know, entirely isolated until about fourteen forty nine, and things are beginning to look really problematic for the english um the thing that that brings suffolk down is the reopening of the war um with france in 1449 there'd been a um a period of of, of truce um but the war reopens again partly through really inept english diplomacy um uh, that that um, and the english are not ready for the resumption of the war the french are the French um, reconquer Normandy extremely quickly um, and embarrassingly so. And there's not much fighting. There's not much um, effort to sort of save it. Um, and it's that sort of national humiliation of a, you know, of a catastrophic defeat. And Suffolk is the one who is held responsible um, for for this. Rightly or wrongly, I mean, he's been the leading figure. There are far bigger structural factors um, in all of this. Um, but Suffolk is the person who it's who it's very easy to to make the chief scapegoat um and as I say, to some extent, he bears considerable responsibility in, in terms of being um uh, responsible for, for for policy and things um so um that's the the thing that sparks it um Parliament um gets involved and it's Parliament that leads the the formal process against him known as, known as impeachment um very rare for parliament to act against a, a king's minister it shows there's real outrage about what's happened um and they throw everything at him um it it's a case of throwing as as much mud as possible and assuming some will stick so there's some there, there, there's some stuff that that's quite clearly made up um, the idea that Suffolk's sort of you know selling military secrets to the French, I'm I'm sure he's not. But there's enough there that also, you know, has some considerable um traction right. um in, in terms of, of of accusations and plausibility. And that's more than enough to to, to make Suffolk's position pretty much untenable
0: right and then obviously he's unexpectedly executed off the coast of kent how does that add add fuel to the fire
1: the proceedings in parliament i'm sure would have been reported in kent and they're aware of uh, of the you know the fact that the house of commons is is you know has, has had this huge attack on him he must have seemed like fair game um but yes um he's the king exiles him for his own safety declare having declared him neither guilty nor not guilty um and his um suffolk ship is is intercepted um he's given a, a mock trial and um his head is chopped off but his body is dumped on the kentish coast um and one of cade sort of manifestos makes it quite clear that there were there were rumours that the king was going to come and punish the Kentishmen for the death of Suffolk, and 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 the manifesto says of which the Kentish Kentishmen were not the doers, and so they they're disavowing direct responsibility for it. Um, although it sounds a little bit ridiculous, um, it's not the only example of a, of a community feeling vulnerable um, to to a you know a, a vengeful royal power. Um, there's examples later um, as well. So, you know, it does have traction, and people probably do worry that they're going to be punished for things that they were not responsible for.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for summarizing the role of Suffolk and his death in triggering the rebellion. You're welcome. So, that's it. I'll see you and James in the next episode, which will break down the grievances put forward by Cade and his followers. I've been Abby, and this is Teach Medieval.